Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, a show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit coming at you on your community radio, WDBX 91.1 FM. We have a special guest. Well, my name is Tree Song and we have a special guest with us on the line here. Um, can you hear us now or? I can. Okay. Well, good. We can hear you too. It was almost a smooth transition there. <laughs> All right, so let's see what we have today in our news and happenings. Anything new in your part of the world? No, just sunny. <laughs> yeah, it's sunny here, too. It's actually still a little unseasonably cool here, but nobody so far that I've met is complaining. <laughs> it's kind of strange, huh? Yeah, it's kind of strange. Well, it's I mean, a lot of people here in southern Illinois forget there's this whole other half of the country out west that is extremely hot. All these droughts going on and, you know, here we're enjoying the, I guess, the pleasant part of the climate destabilization. <laughs> so we're like, oh, okay, it's fine. But then there are all these fires and such out west. So I wonder what the weather's like down under, down in Australia. Because <laughs> that's what our first story is about. Well, it's winter there right now. Yeah, it's winter. I mean, <laughs> it might be about the same temperature here, though, the way global warming is going. Yeah, I met two people from Australia, and they were saying, you know, they're getting their tan on before they go back to the snow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, here's some news that I was sad to hear. Uh, a lot of environmentally-minded people were. Australia repeals carbon tax, and scientists freak out. Now, we've talked about this carbon tax before on the show. It was seen by many as a model for what nations could do. It was a tax on carbon in order to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The cartoonish stereotype of Australia of yesteryear featured a rough-headed bloke in an Akubra hat wrangling crocodiles, you know, like Crocodile Dundee. That image has finally been scrubbed from our memories, only to be replaced by something worse a prime minister cartoonishly wrangling with common sense and becoming the first leader in the world to uh, the warming world to repeal a price on carbon it's kind of like george bush crocodile dundee style <laughs> so yeah this conservative prime minister climate change denier and accused misogynist tony abbott was elected in september he had to wait until this month for his newly elected senators to take their seats his party still doesn't control the Senate, but it has found allies in a powerful new party founded last year by cookie mining magnate Clive Palmer. When it came to repealing Australia's $23.50 per metric ton carbon tax, the immodestly named Palmer United Party 
I mean, isn't that strange naming an entire political party after one person? <laughs> that is kind of kooky. So that, that party fell into line with Tony Abbott's party. And so they repealed the carbon tax by a 39 to 32 vote. But they didn't demand any alternative. You know, part of the argument they're making is that, oh, we don't think this is the best way to handle the situation. But then what way are you going to handle the situation? So he, he has proposed replacing the carbon tax with something he calls direct action. Now, don't get too excited. Some of the activists use that term in a different way. His idea of direct action is handing out billions of dollars to corporations to help them reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. So basically, yeah, who's going to agree to that? They don't have a bunch of money to hand out. Yeah, I mean, the, the government, a lot of governments around the world are dealing with economic issues. Uh, and this is basically seen as a payoff to the to reward people for polluting. Because, you know, they're going to go, his idea is to go to the biggest polluters, give them lots of money and say, here, why don't you use this money in order to do something clean? I mean, they're not doing anything clean now with the money they already have. I don't see why they would with the new money. But, I mean, direct action has not been passed by the Senate, and, of course, it probably never will be passed because, you know, who wants to spend a whole bunch of money? Yeah. I mean, by putting the carbon tax on it, it was making them have to spend the money. Yeah. They would have to spend the money, and then the money raised could be used towards uh, other things within the country, whether it's directly on green initiatives or, you know, other things that the country needs to spend money on. So uh, spending a bunch of money to give to the polluters is not a popular idea. So it, basically what they've done is they their plan now is to do nothing. <laughs> yeah, the way that the article puts it is that one of the worst per person climate-polluting countries, now has no overarching strategy for reducing that pollution. And we have a few quotes here from scientists from Australia. There are a lot of Australian scientists studying climate change because it's a very important issue for their country, like it is for all countries. But they've got a few quotes. Here's one from Roger Jones from Victoria University. It's hard to imagine a more effective combination of poor reasoning and bad policymaking. Perfect storm of stupidity. Bad economics and mistrust of market forces. Let's see. Yeah, they're pointing out that the proposed strategy isn't going to work. And here's one. I'm a carbon cycle scientist. My job is to monitor, understand, and predict the levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. As an Australian, I'm proud of how much we have contributed to that understanding. But today I'm embarrassed by how poor we are at putting that understanding into practice. I feel similarly as an American, you know, we've got a lot of scientists here in the U.S., and they're, a lot of them are studying climate science, but then you have policymakers who don't do anything about it, so <laughs> it's kind of kind of sad and ironic. Want to see what climate change looks like? Well, I guess you can just look outside and see how cool it is on compared to last year's same time. Yeah. Want to see what climate change looks like? Check out the vicious fires in northwest Canada. Lightning, an intense heat wave, and low rainfall are lighting up northwest northern Canada like a bonfire, producing conflagrations that scientists are looking to climate change. Now, there are more than a 100 forest fires burning in Canada's northwest territories, which is just east of Alaska. 
Residents are being evacuated from their homes. Others are being warned to stay inside to avoid inhaling the choking smoke. Quote, some attribute that to climate change, and I'm one of those, Mike Flanagan, a professor of wildland fire at the University of Alberta, told CBC News. What we are seeing in the Northwest Territory this year is an indicator of what to expect with climate change. Expect more fires, larger fires, more intense fires. Here's more from Climate Central. Royal forests, like those in the Northwest Territories, are burning at rates unprecedented in the past 10,000 years. The northern reaches of the globe are warming at twice the rate as areas closer to the equator, and those hotter conditions are contributing to more widespread burns. Further south, Oregon and Washington State have declared emergencies as the same three forces, lightning, hot weather, and dry conditions, fuel wildfires that have forced evacuations. Elsewhere in the American West, major wildfires are being battled in Nevada and California. And it's like a double whammy. The trees are burning, which is putting pollution in the air, and the trees are burning so they don't take the pollution out of the air. Yeah, that's one of those feedback loops that climate scientists are concerned about and that it's it's not entirely easy to to forecast or you know to model because you know it's it's very complicated like you know the heat creates wildfires and then the wildfires burn trees and scrub and then they're sequestering less carbon so it can become a runaway cycle Oh yeah, luckily people in Australia are, and in the U.S. are doing everything they can to respond to it, right? <laughs> All right, well, we, we do have some more positive stories coming up a little later. Let me get to one or two about the fracking here first. Because we haven't talked about fracking as much lately. It's still it's still going on, and they're still trying to bring it here in force in southern Illinois. So I think we should talk about it again and try to do something about it. But here's the... Latest news. Thanks to the fracking boom, we're wasting more money than ever on fossil fuel subsidies. You probably know the U.S. government subsidizes fossil fuel production. Here's something you probably don't know. Those subsidies have recently increased dramatically. According to a report released last week by Oil Change International, quote, federal fossil fuel production and exploration subsidies in the United States have risen by 45% since President Obama took office in 2009 from 12.7 billion to a current total of 18.5 billion. We are, as the report observes, quote, essentially rewarding companies for accelerating climate change. At first glance, it seems strange. Why would there be such a big increase under a Democratic president who's, who says he has committed his administration to combating climate change, and who has even repeatedly called for eliminating exactly these kinds of dirty energy subsidies? Well, the short answer is fracking. The fracking boom has led a surge in oil and natural gas production in recent years. Oil production is up 35% since 2009, and natural gas is up by 18%. With more revenues, expenditures, and profits, the value of the various tax deductions that are given out to the oil industry has soared. So, for example, the deduction for intangible drilling costs cost taxpayers $1.6 billion in 2009, and $3.5 billion in 2013. Okay, so let me get this straight. You know, the average 
American is paying all these taxes to help keep the government running, but these fossil fuel corporations, which are actively harming public interests, are getting tax breaks for doing so. That doesn't quite seem like a fair deal to me. I don't understand why an industry that's making record profits should get any breaks at all. Yeah. Well, it's all based on like sort of a fallacious idea that's like, oh, you know, we're providing energy for you, so we deserve all of these special treatments because otherwise you wouldn't have energy. Like, well, yeah, you are currently providing a huge chunk of our energy, but, I mean, number one, there are other ways we can get energy now, and number two, you're making a lot of profit doing it. It's not like you're running a non-profit <laughs> out of the goodness of your heart in order to put the lights on in our cities. Uh, they're, they're making hand-over-fist profit at this and also getting all of these subsidies on top of that. It's a ridiculous situation. Well, some people don't like this fracking. Yeah. Anti-fracking protesters arrested blocking entrance to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Two dozen protesters were arrested in Washington on Monday while demonstrating against hydraulic fracturing in the U.S. gas industry's push to sell fracked liquid natural gas abroad. I think that's pretty interesting. Well, people are really pushing for the fracking for being energy independent. Yeah. But now there's this big push to sell it to the rest of the world. Yeah, they're being kind of two-faced about it, saying, oh, we need to do all this fracking so that we can have energy independence in the U.S. And then they do the fracking, and then they sell it overseas, and we don't get energy independence. And we get polluted water. Well, well, I think part of that is, you know, European countries are willing to pay extra for what they call, you know, cleaner burning fuels. Yeah. The process of fracking is, you know, um, very destructive, but the natural gas that comes from it is a cleaner burning fuel when you burn it. But yeah, so they want to. Protesters us- blocked entrances to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, headquarters for more than 90 minutes holding signs calling the agency to the Fracking Expansion Rubber Stamp Commission and chanting, Wake up, FERC. Chesapeake Climate Action Network is one of several across the country that have led protests against what it terms the toxic impacts of fracking, the gas and oil drilling technique that has helped the United States become the top natural gas producers in the world and open the door to substantial U.S. gas exports. Environmentalists have raised concern that the use of fracking has fouled drinking water, polluted the air, and contributed to global warming. Monday's demonstration followed a larger march on for on Sunday against liquid natural gas exports and the proposed construction of a nat- liquid natural gas export terminal and gas liquefaction plant near a densely populated residential area in Maryland. Green groups have called on FERC to not issue any more permits authorization the construction of liquid natural gas export plants until a thorough assessment of potential climate change impacts is completed. FERC declined to comment on Menda's protest. <laughs> yeah. I like the acronym the activists came up with, the Fracking Expansion Rubber Stamp Commission. I mean, it's really the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, but Fracking Expansion Rubber Stamp Commission. 
And really, their, their mention there of assessing the climate impacts brings to mind one of the reasons why this seems to be a struggle for a lot of people is, I mean, people, it's taken a long time for people to just wrap their minds around the idea of a sort of local environmental impact statement type approach where you say, okay, are there any streams nearby? Are there any, you know, habitats nearby? Any wildlife populations that will be affected? But when it comes to climate change, we have to think beyond just, you know, is this going to pollute the harbor that we're creating this in? You have to think, is this going to pollute the air of the entire planets with CO2? And a lot of people seem to have not quite reach that level, which is why activists like these are making these big, dramatic public actions to try to bring attention to the issue. But it's, it's good to see people taking some sort of action. It's often hard to know as we read these stories what exactly to do, but they're doing what they can to, uh, to disrupt business as usual and to bring attention to concerns about global warming. All right, so let's go ahead with this one. I mean, this is also related a little bit less directly, but it's Google Street View. Google Street View is mapping gas pipeline leaks. Some of those Google cars that drive around photographing streetscapes and embarrassing moments have captured something a little extra, something that should embarrass major utilities. These Google cars were kitted out by the University of Colorado scientists with sensors that sniff out natural gas leaking from underground pipelines. These methane-heavy leaks contribute to global warming, they waste money, and they can also fuel explosions. You know, because if it's a leak and the gas builds up, that can cause an explosion. The sensor-equipped cars cruise the streets of Boston, New York, Staten Island, and Indianapolis. They return to sites where methane spikes were detected to confirm the presence of a leak. The results were released on Wednesday by the Environmental Defense Fund, which coordinated the project, revealing just how leaky the old and metallic pipes can be such as those used on the East Coast cities, uh, particularly when combined, compared with non-corrosive pipes like those beneath Indianapolis. Now, about one one leak was discovered for each mile driven in Boston. Well, that's uh, that's a lot of leaks, one, week, one leak per mile in Boston. The findings were similar in Staten Island, New York. In Indianapolis, by contrast, about one leak was found for every 200 miles that the car is covered. So the types of pipes they're using to transport this natural gas is uh, is a big deal, and these leaks are a big deal. Because, I mean, one leak per mile, that's a lot of natural gas that's getting out. People don't really think about it because it's not necessarily causing an explosion there. But if you add it all up, that's a lot of impact on our greenhouse gas emissions. I, I wonder what the... People who own the pe- pipelines are saying. Yeah, that's a good question. It doesn't say. I mean, they're probably saying, well, our pipes are already in the ground. What can we do? Well, you've got to figure out something to do. You can't just let all of those emissions just leak out there. They're like, that they didn't even know that there was leaks or something. I don't know. Yeah, they're probably still at the stage of pre- pretending like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. We don't, we haven't seen any explosions or we've only seen one or two explosions. So 
we're just hoping it's fine. And then the Google car drives by and smells all of these leaks and it's, it may what not are, be What fine. do they call that? Acceptable collateral damage. Yeah, acceptable collateral damage. Like, oh, it's only going to cause one or two explosions per year and only X number of deaths related to climate change. It's fine. <laughs> all right. And some good news. A Tesla for the rest of us. One of the knocks against Tesla, because besides the slight chance of the automakers' cars going up in flames, is the sexy zero-emission rides are darn expensive. Case in point, the much beloved Model S starts at about 70000 But a more affordable Tesla's on the way. The CEO recently announced that a new model, called the 3, will start at around 35000 the three is set to be on sale by 2017. Here are some additional details. Be an exclusive with the UK Automag Auto Express. The new car is rumored to be about 20% smaller than the Model S, and our image shows that what it could look like. Key to the new model, which Musk said should be retail about 35,000, likely to equate about um, 30,000 pounds in the UK. It's the cheaper battery technology made possible by Tesla's forthcoming Gigafactory. Yes, 35000 is still cheap, it's still steep, but a 30, uh, excuse me, but a 50% price drop from the S to the 3 in just three years voids well for an even more cost-friendly iteration down the line. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like that idea because they're that's part of what has interest. Two thousand to fifteen thousand dollar range. Yeah, but they're but yeah, we had. I mean, part of the idea of Tesla is to. I mean, part of their long term vision has always been to start with the higher end cars and work their way toward mass producing very affordable electric vehicles. And it sounds like as early as 2017, they may reach that goal. I mean, like they said, you know, 35000 for, you know, the average person <laughs> who isn't making a lot of money in the U.S., I mean, that may seem like a lot, but relative to some of these other models they're selling that are gas guzzlers, I mean, that's actually going to be cheaper than some of the, you know, regular, ordinary gas guzzling cars. And that's really going to make a big difference. Heard a little click there. I I think we may have lost Orr. Are you still with us, Orr? No, we we have lost Orr. We may see if he calls back in in a little bit. In the meantime, let's get on to some of these holidays and happenings. Let's see. Uh, we were just talking about money. <laughs> Friday is National Caviar Day. So people with enough money to buy caviar and who don't who don't mind eating the little critters, it's their day to celebrate with some caviar. And Saturday, this is more my kind of holiday. Saturday is National Raspberry Cake Day. Now, raspberry cake can be very delicious. My favorite though is chocolate cake with raspberries on it. That's much more my style. That might qualify as a raspberry cake. So coming up on Sunday we have Moon Day. And also National Ice Cream Day, which is the third Sunday of the month. 
So we also have, let's see, National Junk Food Day. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if we need a holiday for that one. People celebrate that one every day. I sometimes celebrate that one. And ah, Tuesday is Hammock Day. So you can celebrate by taking a nap on a hammock. And we're going to get Orr back on the air, and we'll be right back. And we are back, and I believe we have a special guest with us on the line again. Good day. Yes, we've got you now. We can hear you again. That's, I wonder how long I was talking before um, I noticed that I was talking to nothing. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to. We heard you. You were talking when you cut out, so I, I don't know exactly how long, how much of you we missed, but you made it back. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about halfway through the holidays now. Um, I was just talking right. about Tuesday hammock day. We get to relax on Tuesday and just lay back in our hammocks. Wednesday is National Hot Dog Day and Vanilla Ice Cream Day. Hmm. Yeah, and Thursday is Amelia Earhart Day, and it's also Cousins Day. In happenings, please send us your happenings, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. In happenings, the Carbondale Community Farmers Market, Saturday, from 9 till noon at the Carbondale Community High School. Get all the taste that Southern Illinois has to offer and meet the community and the farmers. Yeah, it's a good time out there. Also coming up is the Transportic Playground. We haven't mentioned this one in a while, but it's been going on for years now. I don't know, four or five years. And uh, I decided I wanted to mention it because it's moving around over the summer. It's the Traveling Transportic Playground. <laughs> and this coming Monday, it is going to be happening from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Hangar 9. It features Transportic Playground, features open mic poetry and spoken word. You can bring a poem, bring a friend, or just come and listen. This summer, we're traveling around the area exploring new venues. And on Monday, it's going to be Hangar 9. And note the time of 7 to 9, because that's uh, that's a new time for it. 7 to 9 on Monday at Hangar. Pizza and movie night. See, I put the pizza first. You <laughs> have a movie and pizza night. Yeah. <laughs> Movie and pizza party, or pizza and movie party, like I like to say. Yeah, that's the priority. Sponsored by the Guy House RSO. That's the Registered Student Organization. Friday, July 25th at 7 p.m. The movie and pizza party happens every fourth Friday of the month. Join them for a night of movies, pizza, popcorn, and more. If you plan on a, a coming... You should RSVP for the event on Facebook or email director at ourgaiahouse.org. That helps them estimate how many people will be coming so they make sure that they have enough for everybody, right? Yeah. People who are coming to the event are encouraged to help choose a movie by voting in the online poll. Gaia House has a projector, so the film will be projected on a big white wall. There is also free time afterwards to watch other movies, videos, play games, 
We look forward to seeing you there. Um, if you would like to receive um, the newsletter, I can email it to you so you can get the direct links to the online poll and to RSVP, or just send an email to director at ourguyhouse.org. Yeah. And one of the fun aspects of that for me is the choosing of the movies, because people put forward their ideas and they share the trailers and they vote. Each person gets three votes <laughs> and they pick whichever one gets the most votes and watches it. All right, we've got, I believe we've got, yeah, we do. We've got time for one last happening here. This one is called Bully. It's coming up on Tuesday, July 29th. So a little bit of advance notice. It's not this coming Tuesday, but the next one. From 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. over at the Women's Center. The Women's Center is having three film discussion events this summer focused on bullying prevention and response. We've mentioned the other two before on the show, and this third one is called Bully. Each event will feature a showing of the film followed by a discussion. Teens are welcome. The films are rated PG-13. All events are free and open to the public and will take place at the Women's Center. For more information, you can contact Dr. Jen Freitag, French and Educator in the Rape Crisis Services Program over at 618-549-4807, extension 251. Now, I haven't seen Bully, but it's a, an intimate look at the lives of students who are bullied. So it takes some examples of students from the U.S. and explores what they went through in their bullying. And bullying's always been an important topic to my heart because I was bullied as a kid, so <laughs> I try to do what I can to d discourage society from bullying the next generation of young people. It's really not fun being bullied. It, it's a really life-altering, life-threatening situation. So it's good to see the community talking about it and trying to do something about it. Well, our happening list is a little shorter than it usually is because I think people forgot to send some happenings because we know there's a lot of stuff that we missed. Yeah. If you would like your happenings to happen, please send them to the happening guys. That's us at info at yourcommunityspirit.org and we will make sure we announce them so that the event has more attendance and more people happen to show up. Yes, we can help make your happenings happen by mentioning them on the air. Good deal. I'll see you on the radio next week. Yes, see you next week on the radio. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this wonderful weather out there. It may be a little odd, but it's also a little beautiful. <laughs> see you next week. <laughs>